Welcome to episode 108 of the Half Point for Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and our producer, Johnny Pham. I am uh, dealing with the rare summer cold, fellas, so cut me some slack if I uh, ha- have some issues as far as that goes today. But other than that, I am doing okay. How are you guys doing on, on this fine Wednesday afternoon? I'm doing good. I'm pretty excited because we're we're like five days away from when real NFL news starts dropping again. Uh, Monday's kind of a big day. I thought you were gonna like counting down to the Hall of Fame game. That's what I thought you were, you were looking. <laughs> we're for. farther away from that, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> uh, but Monday, as you know, Evan is the last day for long-term deals to be signed, and there are four pretty big-name players who are all on franchise tags: uh, Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, Josh Jacobs, and. There's a fourth guy. In there. <laughs> he's but a big name. We just don't know him. He's big name. He's a running back for sure, knowing how this works. Oh, Tony Pollard. Oh, Tony Pollard. And if, you know, some of those guys might end up holding out if they don't get long-term deals, especially with some of the Saquon news. And then training camp starts on Monday, which means the Beat Street will return. Yeah. Always always a great time down Beat Street. Johnny, how are you doing? Man, I'm hyped. I just got a... Uh... FedEx delivery that I've been waiting on for like at least 38 days. 38 days. It it got lost, got rerouted. It was in Indianapolis, then Florida, then Philly, and then it just got delivered like four minutes ago, and I'm I'm hyped. Can can the item be disclosed? What is it? It's some shoes. It's like wedding (laughs) shoes. Dude, we're like 24 days away from the wedding. I was like, it's not gonna make it in time. If it, it was supposed to be three business days, and now it's been like. 28 business days and i was i was very stressed out about it It, it's funny so for for those who don't know johnny is getting married uh here in a couple of weeks his wedding is is august 5th the day after Uh, you want me to give the address of the venue while while we're here johnny so people (laughs) can just just drop by uh so so every time alex my wife looks at the calendar she goes oh my god it's almost your birthday oh my god it's almost johnny's wedding like that that's the the second sentence out of her mouth every time so yep it's it's coming up. What are you looking to go on a bunch of runs before the wedding or, or what's up no, there? It's like wedding dress shoes. Oh, I thought you said running shoes. No, yeah, I thought you said shoes running shoes for too. the wedding. Wedding oh. shoes. Okay, I can see how that would be more stressful. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I was confused why you were so anxious for running shoes. Nope. Never really, never really pegged you as a runner, but. No, certainly not. Actually, Dalton, have you ever, has, has Jolly ever gone on a run that you know of? Uh, I yeah, mean, I, we lived together for that summer in college. We did that for a while because we wanted to be able to dunk. Yeah. Uh, so running distance was going to help with that? Apparently. No, we were doing short running and we didn't yeah, need to do that sprint well. Drills. I could still yeah. touch the rim. I know Dalton can probably barely touch the net on a good day. <laughs> so, so, so Dalton was doing running drills because he also wanted to dunk? What what net are we talking here? Have you guys seen the eight foot rim league? That's a new. Have you guys seen it? There's a league. No. Where... You, can you dunk on an eight foot rim? Uh, I, I mean... <laughs> That's all we need to hear. Facebook. When I walk right. out at your wedding, just put one out there and let's see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. On that note, I I I think we should get on into it. Uh, we've got a fun show coming up today. Uh, Dalton and I are going to present three guys each that we're worried we might be wrong about in our ranks, either too high, too low, whatever the case may be. Dalton, you look very confused. You're doing a lot of highlighting in the doc now. Is everything okay? You you good? I believe that I highlighted in the doc on my work PC, and it's still highlighted, 
and I was confused why I was highlighting when I was viewing the dog. Gotcha. Gotcha. Fair enough. Uh, also, we're going to talk about two teams that we think the market is wrong about. Dalton grabs some win totals for everybody, and we kind of went off of that. But really, the goal is to identify uh, some teams who we think could be pretty big underachievers, pretty big overachievers. Obviously, we remember last year, Rams, big-time underachievers. Jaguars, big-time overachievers. Broncos, big-time underachievers. Those things definitely have big-time reverberations in fantasy football. So we're going to try and identify what we think could be some good candidates for those situations. But Dalton, you mentioned um, the Saquon Barkley news earlier, and that's where we're going to start in our player props. We have five uh, this week, as always. And and we'll start with Saquon off the top. So I put him in here because his line is 1,000 and a half rushing yards. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that line – that has to be with potential games missed in mind because the two years that he's played and been healthy the entire year, because he had the one year where he had the really bad rushing total, but he was banged up the whole year and never, never right. He was playing under that, but he's been a 1300 yard guy. The, the two times he's played and played, uh, played healthy for most of the year. We have the news um, that he is apparently considering sitting out of the regular season, out of regular season games, excuse me, if he has to play under the franchise tag, which you mentioned that deadline is coming up pretty soon. And then Diana Rossini, a little more reliable on the first tweet from NFL Rumors, says that he's made it clear Saquon has the franchise tag is undesirable. I think we've all seen that out of Saquon. And she is told his week one availability for the Giants against the Cowboys will be in serious question if there's not a long-term deal done. So there's a lot there. And... I figured this would be a good time to at least try to unpack that a little bit. And what better way than to put our money where our mouth is on this prop over under 1,000 and a half rushing yards. Dalton, what say you? I'm taking the under. Uh, I Like we talk about this with stats, but there's so much bigger of an edge taking the under. And with a running back, it's way easier for me in a lot of cases because their injury likelihood is much higher. Like you said, he's hit this three times. Actually, he had one season of 1,005 yards. Um, but with the holdout concerns, with it just being Saquon Barkley, and we know that injuries do pop up with him. And then with the Giants definitely looking to probably move away from a run-heavy offense. I don't know if they can do that successfully. As uh, they, I'm not sure if they have the receivers to, to do yes. that yet. But with the addition of Darren Waller, I think they might pass it a little more. And Saquon was a little boomer bust last season. Mm-hmm. And I think that was just a result of the Giants being so dependent on him. I would just lean the under on this one. Um, probably wouldn't bet this one until closer to the season and we had more news on it. I know he came out on Twitter and said it was cap that he was going to hold out games, but I'm not very likely to trust players, especially after J.K. Dobbins last offseason. <laughs> yeah, Dobbins uh, insisted he was healthy, and there was a weird push and pull where he was wanting to do more, but the Ravens didn't want him to. Turns out the Ravens were actually correct and not wanting him to do more, and he was definitely not healthy. We were kind of all over that one last year as well i'm taking the over just ever so slightly I, I will say blanket statement as far as our prop bets go and keeping track i will give us all the grace to change this to under or if we want to change it to over depending on his availability like if he holds out we can go back and change it because let's be real none of us we are betting this number right now knowing what we know uh, about the potential holdout stuff but i'm still taking the over because even if he holds out and this is a couple of games, like 
there is a lot of wiggle room in this line. He he's hit it like you said that thousand and five uh, yards, and he's been thirteen hundred a, a couple of times. Like he he definitely could miss a few games and still hit this number pretty comfortably. They added Eric Gray, the rookie, but other than that, like there's nothing markedly different about this running back room that makes you think that he won't have the same opportunities and, and the same chance to produce like he did last season. It's all about health and whether or not he's out there on the field and. I just don't know what kind of leverage Saquon has to to hold out. We, we've seen these running backs, like with Le'Veon Bell, try to hold out. Didn't Le'Veon Bell recently say he regretted doing that, or, or am yeah. I mistaken? No, he did. So I, I, I just don't – like, I understand why he wants to do it, but running back is just – these guys just don't have leverage. I don't know what he's going to gain from that. So I think my gut read is that it's probably – him trying to push the buttons that he can, but when push comes to shove, I think my guess would be he'll be out there. Yeah, I think he definitely wants to be out there. I just think he'd prefer to get paid, but I agree with you. There, there's no oh, yeah. negotiation upside for him in this situation, especially because the Giants can just go out on there. I mean, they can sign Kareem Hunt or Dalvin Cook and or Ezekiel really, Elliott, the letter yeah, for that, all those yeah. guys still without a team. Are you really going to miss that much? Probably not with the way running backs work in the NFL. No offense to Saquon, but they can probably find a lot of replacement level value and still do perennially the same. I will say the Giants are kind of one team that they ran their whole offense was it ran through Saquon last year. So they might be one exception uh, to to that rule. But who knows? Johnny, uh, what do you think about this number? Yeah, I'll, I'm probably leaning towards the over, but not feeling great about putting any money down on it whatsoever. But yeah, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going with the over. Mm-hmm. Okay, second guy on the list here. We'll jump back to the top. Aaron Rodgers, his over-under for passing yards is 3,950 and a half. And by the way, I forgot to read the the actual lot, like the, the odds for each one. It was minus 110 for both the over and the under for Saquon. Minus 110 for the over and the under at 3,950 and a half for Aaron Rodgers. Um, I'm taking the under. I'll keep this one brief because I have more on Rodgers later in the show. But he just had the worst season of his career last year at age 39 as a full-time starter. So I'm dubious that the bounce back is going to be as big as people think. I'll just leave it at that. Well, it's funny because at least we're getting some disagreement this week. Uh, I'm taking the over. So uh, before his week five thumb injury last season, he a lot of his underlying metrics, his completion percentage, his QBR, his EPA per play were all right in line with where he's been at in his career. He definitely had the worst receiving core he's had in a couple of years. His best player was rookie Christian Watson, who didn't play for the first couple of games. Uh, the receiving core he has this year is probably up there with some of his 2015 and 14 seasons where he was putting up stellar stat lines. Uh, and I, I didn't see a major drop off until he had that thumb injury and he was throwing to a bunch of nobodies. I think he'll be fine. When you just look at the yards per game with Mike White and Joe Flacco in this offense last year was over 300 yards. And I think even at age 40, Aaron Rodgers, he's going to be better than these guys. Johnny. I'm going with the under. I don't, I feel like that's a, that's a high number for him, especially at his age, but I, I, I'm feel more comfortable with the under. Mm-hmm. With you on that one, Damian Pierce over under 900 and a half rushing yards. This one's minus 110 both ways as well. And I'll start this one off. Another under for me here. I mean, we've got Devin Singletary, 
who will be a factor, I think, this year, who is at least going to take some snaps away from Pierce. Like, Pierce is the better player. He'll, he'll get more snaps. He should get more snaps. But this could very easily be a 1A, 1B type of deal, which did not exist in Houston last year when Pierce was healthy because it was Rex Burkhead, Darea Goombawale, and company behind him. I know he hit that number last year and he missed four games, but I just don't – I don't think the volume should or will be what it was last year for Damian Pierce as a rusher. He was seventh in the NFL with almost 17 rushes per game last year in the games that he played. I just – I think for both his sake and the team's sake, that that should not be their plan this year. I don't think it is with Devin Singletary there. Yeah, uh, this one I agree with you on. I have the under one. It's not like Houston's offense is getting any better with a rookie quarterback under the helm. I'm not saying Davis Mills was that good last year, but he's definitely going to have to have an edge when it comes to his efficiency, which he didn't do among the last 10 years with running backs with at least 220 carries. He ranks in the bottom third of total yards. So it's not like he was efficient with those. And I don't really expect him to be with that Houston line. And Devin Singletary is the best competition he's faced in the backfield, which isn't saying a lot. But, I, I mean, there's still some juice with Devin Singletary, mm-hmm. and he's going to take touches away. So I agree with you. Just bad offense and increased competition, I'm not in on it. Mm-hmm. I agree with the uh, the under. All right, Dawson Knox, uh, over under 425 and a half receiving yards. This may be the lowest one we take, but I thought it was a, a somewhat interesting conversation. The over, minus 105, the under minus 115 Dalton what do you think about Dawson Knox and this low number I was surprised though the over was plus money on this one uh, I'm taking the over one I really expect the bills to transition to more 12 and 13 personnel looks it's pretty clear that Dalton Kincaid is probably going to be playing more as a receiver than as a tight end I know that's a big gamble to make but even in the last two seasons when he hasn't played a full 17 game slate Dawson Knox has hit this over and I think when it comes to consistency he still might be their fourth best pass catcher and it's really not that hard for him to get there and there there's a slight edge in this in my opinion with an aging Stefan Diggs who could get hurt or I mean there's been some offseason rumbles that he's upset where suddenly Dawson Knox has a bigger receiving profile. And I also think the wide receivers behind Stefan Diggs suck, and Dawson Knox has some replacement value where he might be better than some of them. Mm-hmm. I'm on the other side. I, I like this. Uh, I, I'm taking the under. I obviously, like you think, Kincaid is going to be used as a receiver quite a bit and Knox in line and have them be on the field at the same time. But I also think Kincaid will actually play tight end some too. And I could see Knox being used more as a – run blocker slash red zone slash like short yardage guy, like have a very productive and good season for the bills, but not for fantasy football. So I I just think that there's not enough room margin for error for me here. Injuries plus a a drop in productivity. I I don't love where this line's at. So I'm going under. I'm going to go with the, uh, the over, I feel like Josh Allen needs a lot of targets. I feel like that, 425 is like a lower number for Dawson Knox, I feel like, but I, mm-hmm. I, I like the over in this scenario. All right, last one here. A.J. Brown, speaking of uh, lower numbers, even though this is a higher number, but for A.J. Brown, I thought this was a lower number, jumped out to me. His over-under is 1,050 and a half receiving yards, uh, minus 110 for both the over and the under here. Dalton, I'll start. I will start with you. Excuse me. What do you think uh, about A.J. Brown this number? 
I, I think this is a stupid number. It's over. It's bait. It's got to be bait. It's got to be bait somehow. He hit this in Tennessee two years in a row where they hardly threw the ball. Yeah. Um, and he has a more efficient quarterback than Ryan Tannehill and Jalen Hurts, a better play caller in this offense. And I like Devonta Smith. I don't think there's a world where anybody's making the argument that Devonta Smith is taking targets away from A.J. Brown. And just like a fun stat, this is from expected fantasy points, A.J. Brown had the second most yards lost to penalty last season. So, like, his number could have been substantially – and that number is 377 yards. That number could be substantially higher. A.J. Brown's best route is, like, the nine route. So he's always there on deep routes. Mm -hmm. The Eagles' offense is tremendously loaded. He's going to get his looks. I don't see why there's a – I'm confused by this one. Yeah, it seems like I need to do some more digging and because I, I kind of browsed the Jalen Hurts lines after this, but didn't look too closely at his stats last season. It seems like maybe uh, just some Eagles regression is what Vegas is betting on here. But I, I'm thinking the over. He played every game last year. That helped, but he hit this by 500 yards, basically. He was almost at 1,500, so about 450 over. Um, this line is 100 yards less than Garrett Wilson's line. 75 yards more than Mike Evans. Think about that. Mike Evans is like our wide receiver 35. AJ Brown's like our wide receiver five or six in fantasy, and their lines are 75 yards different on DraftKings. And then 300 yards less than Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill is where this line is set for AJ Brown. So just a, a weird, weird line. And I'm feeling a little bit dubious about about the about why why this is where it's at, but I'm taking the over. Johnny, uh, what do you think here? Yeah, I, I I went into my uh, bookie account to place the bet, so I will be following. <laughs> I, will be follow, I will be following this line very closely, but it, it feels like a trap. It feels like they know that something's gonna go wrong because, like you said, Mike Evans wide receiver thirty four, and like he's AJ Brown's wide receiver five. Like that shouldn't be that much of a difference on the the yardage difference. So I. Be placing the bet right now, but I'm I'm on the over as well. Did you is did you find that same line where you're looking? Yeah, it's minus one ten too. Yeah, man. So it's just uh, not not just the DraftKings line. I they have to go. Uh, man, play, place I'm ready that. To be hurt. Yeah, this this feels like uh, this feels like bait. Uh, all right, Dalton. Let's get into some players now. Three guys we're worried that we're wrong about. Do you want to start this off, or do you want me to get going here? Sure, I can start this off, um, and I don't think there's anywhere better to start than probably the biggest bust in fantasy football last year and the most disappointing outcome, which is Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos offense. Uh, we have him, I have him at QB 18, which is well outside of the top 12. I have rookie Anthony Richardson over him. I, I mean, I have Kirk Cousins over him. And throughout his entire career, excluding last year, Russell Wilson has been consistently inside the top 10 when he's healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, th this offense was befuddled by Nathaniel Hackett's play calling. I mean, even we Nathaniel Hackett, offensive coordinator for Aaron Rodgers this year, by the way. I just want to throw that out there for yeah, the conversation I later. I feel like that's coming down the line. <laughs> um, there were multiple points in these games where Russell Wilson was handing the ball off in a shotgun port formation at the one-yard line. They targeted backup tight ends at a level that they shouldn't be with the wide receivers they had on this team throughout most of the season. And then you get to like week 15 and Russell Wilson finishes the last three weeks as a top 10 quarterback. He runs more out of space. 
He has a higher play action rate. This is also after the firing of the Hackett, obviously. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, like he he's a startable fantasy quarterback. The I mean, even against the Chiefs, the Broncos had a pretty good game. I think Russell Wilson had like a 26-point fantasy game that week yeah. uh, to conclude their season. And it it feels really easy to write him off and say it's over and that Pete Carroll was right. But this is a team last year with the Broncos that hired Hackett for Aaron Rodgers and their front office clearly panicked, went after Russell Wilson, and things just weren't set up for his success. And I feel like he needs to be ranked more respectfully and higher by me. But also there's a chance that like his floor is even lower. Like he he sucks and it's over and Sean Payton can't revitalize him. We're we're definitely gonna find out this year, as long as he doesn't get hurt like right away, obviously. We're we're gonna find out whether or not it's over or whether or not he still has something left in the tank this year, I think, with, with Sean Payton. And what what is I don't know if concerning is the right word, but outside of Hackett and just that whole mess, it it felt like they turned the reins over to Russ. Like it was Russ's team. They they played the way he wanted to play. And he had his own parking were, spot. It, yes, has own parking spot, has own office upstairs. Guys are able to come into his office, uh, chit chat instead of in the locker room, you know. So it's like less of this is less of a fantasy point, just an overall just football point. Can things like is Sean Payton gonna be able to come back and kind of put that toothpaste back in the tube, so to speak, and and get things to what like is Russ gonna be receptive to? I'm just another I'm just another guy on this team again. Like I'm I'm running your system. This is how it was in Seattle. Like I'm listening to the coach, or is that going to be a problem? I would imagine Sean Payton will command that respect, and things will probably go well from that regard. But I don't know. I, I just have. It's just a lot of weirdness last year in Denver, and it just makes it so hard to have a good gauge for what to think about Russ because it was such a, such a dumpster fire there well, last his, season. His deep ball looked pretty cooked. Yeah, like he threw a lot of ducks up. Well, and it wasn't just that his deep ball looked looked bad; it was that he was making a lot of terrible decisions. Yeah, that there were obviously bad play calling, bad clock management. We all remember, and I think the clip just got recirculated pretty recently week one where Peyton Manning was calling timeout for like 45 seconds on, on Monday night football while they let the clock run down and then called timeout um, in Seattle. Like there was a lot of that, but there was also the Colts game where was it KJ Hamler was so wide open in the end zone that when he didn't get the ball and they lost on that play, he smashed his helmet into the turf. So there was, it was a lot of coaching, but it was a lot of like, He's just playing blind out there right now. Like, I, I don't know what it is. So maybe he just needs new situation, um, new coach, start over. But even with the new coach, they've got a couple new pieces in there. The weapons are kind of still the weapons for the most part. Like, it's still kind of the same group. So I'll be curious to see how big, like, how big a difference does good coaching make? I think we're real. It's a very good taste test case for that this year in Denver. Yeah, and it'll be a very good clash. I mean, they wasted a lot of picks on Russell Wilson, but they also traded a first for Sean Payton. And I think out of both of them, Sean Payton's the one to prove that he can do it multiple different ways and win multiple games. I don't think there's a world where we see Jared Stidham starting, but I, if we're week 14 and they have a losing record, it might be, you know, 
the end of Russ's career if Sean mm-hmm. Payton makes some statements in that locker room. Yep, for sure. All right, this guy, um, God, I'm I'm so torn on what to do with with Debo Samuel. You know, we kind of uh, branded ourselves the the Debo podcast a little bit a couple weeks back or last week when we kind of discovered we were decently high on D. De- even though we were Ayuk uh, over Debo, we're still pretty high on Debo. Uh, relative, I have him wide receiver 21, but if you just go back and just box score look or just year by year stat look with Debo, it's just scary because the one year that is the absolute anomaly is the great year. I mean, he has 1400 yards, eight rushing touchdowns, you know, 1400 yards receiving and eight rushing touchdowns played all 16 games. You look at his other years, he's been over 800 yards receiving one time that was as a rookie and that was by two yards he has missed games in all but the one season we know he's he's had some injury problems throughout his career and he's obviously going to be a guy that's going to get banged up because of the way he plays because he's running between the tackles as a wide receiver like he has that added risk as well i mean his fantasy finishes wide receiver 36 93 2 and 32. Those are his finishes in his career. I went back and looked at at last year, weeks 10 through 14, and obviously why that's relevant is because it's the 49ers, and the 49ers are never fully healthy. Those are the only four games of the year where all of their big guns were on the field. Debo, Ayuk, George Kittle, and Christian McCaffrey post-CMC trade. And, you know, Ayuk was, was like wide receiver 20, uh, Debo right there as well at wide receiver 23. So, so he's right there very much in, in the mix of things. Oh, Dalton. Yeah, I'm here. Are you there? You good? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll happen to my camera. Yeah. Your camera's gone on my screen too. Okay. That's, uh, that's great. I think I, my camera just has an update. I am seeing, I need to restart my PC. So and probably not going to do that mid-pod, don't think. That's fair. So, <laughs> so we, might just, uh, we might just go with the, the old no cam on this one. We'll see. But yeah, Debo wide receiver 23 in that stretch. Like, I don't think he's going to be a bust by, by any means. Like, I have him ranked right around that. Um, and I'm still pretty bullish on telling people to draft him near the top 20. But I think it's very easy to see the argument with Debo that you're drafting him near the peak of his value if those guys are healthy because they have so many weapons and he's probably going to be in and out the lineup a bit himself. But you would probably imagine that other guys are going to be in and out enough as well that the the sum of the season can add up to a great year, but it might just be up and down. And it might be that way for all of those guys except maybe Christian McCaffrey. And as I was diving into the Debo thing, I actually, to add a little bonus bonus guy here, got a little worried about George Kittle and my rank of him as I was doing this too. He was tight end nine in that same stretch when all those guys played, but he only scored more than five points one time. It was a 22-point explosion. And then we all know how great he was down the stretch. That was about Debo who got hurt late in the season and was out until the playoffs basically. So a little queasy about him at tight end three, a little queasy about Debo. Um, I think Ayuk is going to have uh, a big-time season. So, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know what to do with the Niners because I love the talent of all of those guys. 
and the offense should be really, really good. But it's just a lot to have four guys be that good for fantasy on offense. Yeah, it's difficult, too, because you're relying on Brock Purdy, who we – welcome back, Evan. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, who we, we got a good sample size of, but we didn't get a full season of Brock Purdy. So there's still some question marks on, you know, how good he really is, how much we can cr- trust him. And then we are putting a lot of faith in two top 24 wide receivers, a top five tight end, and then a top three running back to be supported by Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah. And like, I think even from both of us, the RB one is what we both have him yeah. as, right? Yeah, uh, which I may or may not be altering that. Just looking at his rushing splits with Elijah Mitchell, I might drop him one or two spots, nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And then it's also Kyle Shanahan, who is the most erratic coach in the NFL when it comes to starting his players. For all we know, you know, Dio's- I, I I think all of these guys are past that point. I think they're all established enough, but I hope. Um, and then it's just Debo's best season came when he was getting utilized a lot out of the backfield too. And I think there was a talk between him and Kyle Shanahan where he doesn't want to do that, which I, I totally believe he should. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I wouldn't want to either if I were a wide receiver, but for fantasy, look, at how, look reasons, at how they get paid and look at how the running yeah. backs get paid. But for fantasy reasons, it's definitely capping his ceiling. And I think this is no offense to Debo. I think Brandon Ayuk is a better receiver. Yeah. Debo. And there's been a lot of Ayuk. Yeah. Buzz, uh, Kyle Yushek basically say it looked like a whole new guy. Now, obviously, that's Buzz, that's sunshine, and you know, pump, pump, and all that stuff. We 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 never know what we can truly buy into with that. Usually, it's not much, but it helps that we're we've all been pretty big youth believers anyway this whole mm-hmm. time, and he, he's looked like an absolute stud uh, when he's actually been on the field. So yeah, Ayuk being even better this year would be another reason I'm I'm nervous about about Debo and taking him as a top 24 guy. But also Debo is just really freaking good, man. Like it, it's hard to drop him too much lower. That's why he's a hard guy to rank. That's why I'm nervous about being wrong about him. But I also don't think he's going to be a complete bust unless he gets injured, which could happen. Yeah. Injury leads me right into my next guy. Go for it. Uh, and there's a larger conversation here, but I'll start with him. But I have Rashad Bateman, who – I am probably 13 spots above wide receiver ADP right now with wide receiver 24. So I'm bullish on him already. And there's a lot of issues here. I understand that this cortisol shot that he got is not a big deal. It shouldn't be a big deal. But last offseason, we were told that the shots Stafford was getting weren't a big deal. And they definitely ended up being a big deal. And with a guy who's had an entire career of injury problems, it's just dissatisfying to know that he's already dealing with a prolonged injury, especially in his foot where he's had Liz Frank problems. Uh, So that's my first concern here is that the the injuries seem to be nagging him. Second, I am so in on this Ravens offense and I was so Mm -hmm. in on Denver and the chargers last off season (laughs) that it's, it's just pays dividends to ask yourself, you know, what could go wrong here? Yeah. So I've, I've gone ahead and done that. We are projecting, we have to project a substantial increase in pass efficiency and volume in this offense to get anywhere near where these wide receivers are getting ranked by us, by Odell, Zay, and Rashad Bateman, and then Mark Andrews, who we have as top three tight ends above our rankings. So we are 
praying that Todd Munkin can come in and substantially increase the pass volume here. And then at the same time that Lamar Jackson is a player who can sustain great pass volume season long and do it efficiently. So you combine those with also the fact that he has to do all of these things efficiently. They have to increase their play volume. And now Rashad Bateman has to be the best in what suddenly became a crowded wide receiver room. Odell's not the old Odell, but Odell still played well when he was healthy two years ago. And you and I both think Zay Flowers is a very talented player. Mm -hmm. He was drafted higher than Rashad Bateman was in the NFL draft. And it's a penchant here that there's so many factors here that have to go right for Rashad Bateman to be a good player. That it's really concerning how high I have him. And I'm hedging on everything going the right way for him. I, I wish I, I had the splits. I'll, I'll probably bring bring those to a show later on when we talk more about Bateman, because I'm sure he'll be a, a my guy for, for one of us, given where we have him ranked. But if you go and look at the splits uh, pre and post injury for Bateman and just look at it when Lamar is quarterback, don't don't look at uh, when Huntley was there. Their passing game really fell off a cliff when Bateman got hurt. And I, I think that's because Bateman is really good. Like, I, I think he even with Zay Flowers, he I like Zay Flowers a lot. But he's also a rookie. It's a lot to expect a rookie to come in and be the the best guy right away um, in a receiving room. Odell, you said you mentioned it. I agree. He was very good when he played, but the key thing there was two years ago and another ACL injury ago. Now, there's been some some talk from Odell that he may have actually he may be better now because he got things cleaned up in this surgery that maybe was still ailing him from the previous one. Not a doctor, not gonna give a, an opinion either way there but all i know is for multiple acls and multiple years uh multiple acl injuries in the career and multiple years since the last time we've seen the guy uh play on the football field so a little unsure what what to expect there i think bateman is pretty clearly the best receiver in this offense now obviously mark andrews should be the number one target in this offense but if bateman is as good as we think i'm not too concerned but the obviously the the red herring with him is is health so it, it really to me it's just can he stay healthy i'm not too concerned about the core zone shot i think that probably happens a lot and we just don't hear about it and maybe we just heard about this one because i, I don't know why it maybe because it was his foot and he's had the foot thing um i don't know but you, but i go ahead do you have concern that like everybody i've listened to has talked specifically about how Todd Munkin is going to be great for Lamar Jackson. Like, what if it's just not a good fit? And what if, like, the Greg, Greg, Greg Roman was actually doing that offense because it was the best way to get the best out of Lamar Jackson? I, I don't because I think we saw flashes um, from Lamar, like be, being able to be a, a good passer, and he's improved over his time in the NFL. Like, we think about, was it that Raiders game the last year, two years ago? where he threw for like 400 yards and it was just a, a great, great performance. And we, we've seen him obviously be great with uh, with Greg Roman, but we've seen a very limited passing game. We've seen a high school style offense. I think both sides realized that we have to branch out. We have to actually have a real passing attack to complement this great rushing attack. And I, I think Lamar is capable of that. I, I think he's proven enough to me as a passer. Like, I don't know him and Jalen Hurts. Like, is Jalen Hurts really a better passer than Lamar? Like, no, I don't think so. I think they're probably pretty comparable mm -hmm. as passers. Like, a, a, 
average to above average and then special runners. Like I, I think Lamar will, will be just fine in, in this system. And if Todd Munkin is smart, which he is, he will not come in with a, Oh, it's spread offense. We're passing. We're, we're going to take away what he, but no, like they're going to, he's going to have his system and Lamar is going to have his way of playing. And hopefully um, they're going to mesh that into building the best system for, for both sides and for that offense. And I, I believe that is what's going to happen. Yeah. The other crazy thing, and this is a big comparison, but when Monken was at Georgia, obviously Brock Bowers got like a ton of targets. And there's a part of me that can, that's concerned that <laughs> like Mark Andrews is going to be his Brock Bowers. And we're going to see like 180 or 150 target season for Mark Andrews. And then the wide receivers are all going to split 90 target seasons or something like that. It's possible. I mean, Mark Andrews is very good, so it's it's definitely possible. But I'll look back to college football uh, for my next guy on this list. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if he's your third guy, but we'll see here. Do, do you have Bijan Robinson on your list anywhere? No, my la- my last <laughs> one's a little a little more fun because when we did our running back rank show, we were like, oh, we have Bijan like RB eight, and everybody else has him RB three. Uh, that's what underdog has him RB four is fantasy pros ADP. So. Doesn't sound like a huge difference, but we're telling people to draft him at the turn. They're telling people to draft him in the top six or eight, which is a big difference in the first round of a draft. So I'm just a little hesitant to ever elevate guys that high that we've never seen play in the NFL. I, I know, I know Bijan is an unreal prospect, maybe the best we've seen in the last decade plus. Like, I get it. I've seen him play in person and absolutely destroyed KU. So I, I, I know firsthand he's very, very good. And he's in a probably pretty good situation where he's going to have a big time year, but RB three, like this sounds obvious, but I think sometimes people need to hear this. RB three is really, really difficult to accomplish. You go back and look like, I don't think Nick Chubb has a, a finish that high in his career. Nick Chubb, like think about that. Nick Chubb, who, Nick Chubb, who's been probably the best pure runner in football for the last three or four years. Like it is really hard to finish that high in fantasy football. Number one, because you have to be healthy, and number two, because you, you have to basically have a two thousand yards from scrimmage or close to it type of year. Now, is he capable of that? Of course, and that's why he's in this category for me. You look back at guys like Zeke and Saquon, who he's most commonly kind of comped with as prospect caliber. Both those guys did exactly that when I was probably lower on both of those guys at that time um, than others were. Saquon, best fantasy season he's ever had is still that rookie year. Zeke had a career high in rushing yards and in carries and in rushing touchdowns and also had a decent receiving year right under 2,000 yards. They were both top three running backs that those seasons. They are the RBs two and three all time as rookies since 1990. So, like, could he do that? Yes. But, like, it's just, it's just so difficult um, to do, honestly. Like, you look at I, – I, there's this great stat from Sports Illustrated that I found in doing some research here. In the last 23 years, 51 running backs have been selected in the first round of the NFL draft. 8% of those guys have finished with more than 300 fantasy points. So that's basically what you have to do to be a top three running back. 18% 
have scored more than 250 points and 29% have more than 200 points. That's in PPR scoring. So if you do that math, it's basically around 40% of those guys are under 200 fantasy points in their first season and topping out as high-end RB2s uh, to mid-RB2s. Like, he is he is a very good player, and I could I, I'm nervous I could be wrong because of that, but also I, I just can't quite get there with it because it you're asking basically you're asking a, a historical season out of a guy to have him live up to to that, and it's just uh it's just a tough thing to to ask quite frankly. Yeah, I have a couple of concerns with Bijan. Uh, they start with like the running back landscape this year, I think is very flat for like a good portion of players, which I think the, the value of a high risk player like Bijan is, is, is rewarded less in this landscape. Like you can get Tony Pollard at RB nine. And I mean, Tony Pollard was RB nine last year competing for snaps with Zeke. So there's that then. And it's, it's like preseason camp buzz, but he's getting described by Arthur Smith as like this offensive weapon. And they're talking about how they're going to work in Tyler Algier to give Bijan better looks. Mm-hmm. Tyler Algier, like we're not fans of him, but he was good last offseason, like last season in a lot of metrics. And they really liked to run this ro- running back by rotation situation. And before they drafted Bijan Robinson, Arthur Smith was all over the news podium saying that they were going to run a running back by committee because it's the way the NFL works. And he's shown a willingness not to use his best players uh, like Kyle Pitts and Drake London to a fault. (laughs) Um, And I believe that you could get into a very, very frustrating situation very, very quickly where, you know, B.L. Robertson's getting 16 rushes a game, but you, you have Tyler Algier getting eight to nine rushes a game and you get into the red zone and Tyler Algier's the back all of a sudden because Bijan was between the twenties, the entire drive. And like you said, to be a top three running back is just hard. It's really mm-hmm. hard, and you need touchdown equity. And I just don't think the Falcons are going to score a lot of touchdowns. I think they suck. I think they're still going to suck. And if he's not getting those touchdowns, he's going to need multiple 100-yard games. And it's it's just hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Do you have any guesses? So I mentioned Zeke and Saquon are the RBs two and three as rookies all time since 1990. Any guesses on who had the best fantasy football season as a rookie running back in that stretch? Trent Richardson. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'll I'll give you the hit. It is a uh, late 90s running back. Can I get the division? Uh, AFC South. AFC South. Is it CJ2K? Edron James, 1999. Oh, Oh, he won rookie of the year. Yeah. I should have done that. Yeah, uh, Doug Martin on this list of top 12 rookie running backs. That really threw Muscle hamster. <laughs> that 2012 season was something else. But, yeah, I just – man, Bijan is such a tough uh, such a tough one for me this year for, for all of those reasons. Dalton, who's your third? Uh, this is probably the toughest one, and we've talked about this player, but I'm including two here, and it's cheating. But their fantasy values are tied together. It's Deshaun Watson and Amari Cooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, like – We'll start with Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper was amazing with Jacoby Brissett. With Sean Watson, he was terrible. In fact, the points per game outcomes in these two, with Jacoby Brissett, Amari Cooper was on pace to finish his wide receiver six. With Deshaun Watson, he was on pace to finish his wide receiver 32. Like that's 
huge discrepancy. Yeah. He finished as a wide receiver 11 in part because the majority of his points came in the early half of the season. Amari Cooper's always been an inconsistent player. I, I, I was going to say, obviously, we know that uh, it's well documented here that Deshaun was worse than Jacoby Brissett when he mm-hmm. came in. But also, it's well documented here and everywhere that Amari Cooper, no matter who his quarterback is, can be a guy and is a guy who can be the wide receiver six for half a year and 32 for half a year. That, that's just yes. who he's always been. Yes. Um, so that's my first concern is that he's an incredibly inconsistent player. Deshaun, I just really don't know if Deshaun Watson has it anymore. After a year off from football, like we talked about last week, we're willing to write off a lot of his problems due to rust and due to bad weather games. It's dangerous when you start writing off very obvious misgivings for for reasons that you can't explain or for stats you can't find. He was horrible even in the preseason game last year. He didn't have a completion. Mm -hmm. Uh, In tandem with that, Amari Cooper is entering his age 29 season. It's not that old, but he's also been a guy who's always had these injuries pop up throughout the season. And then there's no one else in this wide receiver room who I'm going to put you know, any money on to be a successful player. Well, I was going to say, can I just ask you a question? Yeah. Who, just from a talent standpoint, is the more talented wide receiver? Amari Cooper or Elijah Moore? Yeah. Um, it's Amari Cooper right now, but Elijah Moore has been cheated. Not by that much. And that that would be another concern with Cooper is that yes. maybe Elijah Moore's potential is realized. Yeah. And you put those two factors together. This is an offense that so far we've seen they want to run play auction. They want to run the ball a lot. They don't want to have a high passing offense. And then you decrease the volume. It's just really hard for me to get there and to buy into this Browns team at all, other than Nick Chubb, who might finally be unleashed. And I just don't want to do it. I think Deshaun Watson might just be bad at football now. He got a total guaranteed contract. Why does he care? Like, in all honesty, like, why do you want to show up and play well if you're getting a quarter of a billion dollars no matter what you do? Yeah, I I just think uh, <laughs> I, I just think that if you're a football player who's made it to this level, you've got to have, um, like, I would hope that you have more, more like you care just about being good at the sport. You have more competitive juices, let, let's just say. Um, to care in that scenario, and that—that's obviously what you're hopeful. Like you would hope Deshaun Watson's pissed off about how bad he was last year. Yeah, but I would also hope that if you're making as much money and you know you're like one of the best quarterbacks being mentioned in the same name with Patrick Mahomes, you're not going to massage parlors and doing well, whatever you're doing. So, yes, yes, Sli- uh, yes, the slightly different uh, <laughs> one's a character concern, and one maybe a character flaw. A little, yeah. little, little, little I, I'm sorry, I just don't. I really, it's really hard for me to come around on Deshaun Watson, and I haven't seen anybody make a case for him that is anything other than making excuses like there's not even an under like his epa wasn't even good his best game he threw three touchdowns and 10 passes or 18 passes like well the case for him is you know he's three years ago he's still young and last time he played before all of this happened he was awesome so maybe he can be that again because like there should be no physical drop off for him like guys like russ and aaron Rodgers or or guys that you worry about matthew stafford like he, he shouldn't have that, but whether or not he can get back to that same guy, like it's hard to take a year plus off of anything and come back and, and be the same. So yeah. 
I, I guess we'll see what he does. But yeah, obviously that that makes both of those guys incredibly difficult. And I almost thought like no matter where I rank Deshaun, I'm probably gonna be wrong. That's mm-hmm. why I'm splitting the difference and putting him 10. But I also just listened to a podcast where somebody had him 14 and felt like they were high on him. So like I, I really think there's there's no great answer out there right now um for Deshaun and then obviously to a lesser extent Amari Cooper. Yeah, I agree. All right, last guy here. Um this is much more about his team than the player, but I'm going Aaron Jones here as my third guy. I have him at RB14, and I hadn't really looked until the other day, but I'm actually a couple spots ahead um, of ADP on him, which I was a little surprised and concerned about when I made when I made <laughs> this discovery. Like, uh, this kind of goes for the Packers as a whole. Like, Christian Watson, I'm lower on Watson than ADP, and I think you are too. So I'm not really too concerned there. I'm like Romeo Dubs. I don't care about Jaden Reed. I care about long-term, not as much this year. A.J. Dillon, like he's going in the 30s, whatever. Although I would hope and expect that Alvin Kamara is going to jump him in ADP, which he had not. I looked at this last night. But I think the the biggest thing here is, is Jordan Love any good? Can he, like, can he prop up Aaron Jones? Not prop up. Can he just keep the boat above water enough for Aaron Jones to be awesome. That's all he has to do. But we've seen so little from Jordan Love in his career because he's had so little opportunity that we we just we just can't know. We all we really know about Jordan Love is that he was drafted a lot higher than people expected him to be. And he was not a great prospect coming out of college. And he's definitely not looked great for the most part when he's played in the NFL. Now, he did play the one game last year against the Eagles. He came in late when Rodgers got hurt. He went 6 of 9 for 113 yards through the long touchdown to Christian Watson. That helped boost those numbers. But for the first time, really, the eye test was kind of kind of there a little bit. But that's one game that was 20% of the snaps in that game. That is a very small sample size uh, for people to be – you know, just penciling him in as a top 20 quarterback and able to to kind of right the ship in Green Bay a little bit there. You look back the year before, in 2021, he started one game against Kansas City in Arrowhead. His parents, his parents sat. <laughs> his parents very famously were in like the second to the last row in the stadium. And man, they should have just put him in an airplane and had him sitting over the stadium because they did not want to see how badly their son played that day. 19 of 34 for 190 yards, one touchdown, one pick. That one touchdown was with five minutes left in the game, or uh, they were you know, pretty close to being shut out. Aaron Jones in that game, 19 carries for 52 yards, no touchdowns, no catches on two targets. Like, I can't make a decision either way, because the sample size is so small both ways. And if you just look at anything uh, Packer-related, coming out right now it's all positive from the fans from media from whoever on jordan love like this guy's gonna be great you know there's a lot of uh jordan love versus justin fields discourse between bears and packers fans i wasn't aware of until yesterday uh that i am now aware of but i think the most important thing to look at here is what the packers did with his contract they gave him a one-year extension instead of picking up that fifth year option and without getting too into all of the minutia of, of the cap stuff, this is pretty much what that means. It's very easy for Green Bay to move off of Jordan Love in 2024 if he sucks. 
And it would not have been had they picked up that fifth-year option because they'll be able to save $9 million against the cap if they cut him. And they would not have been able to do that if he was on the books for $20 million in 2024. So the team that's had him in the building and seen him more than anybody, a lot more than anybody, is putting a little bit of faith in him, but not their full trust. And so it makes it really difficult to know how to feel about Aaron Jones, the guy that we all care about the most and the guy that should be a RB1 type of running back. But we know it, it's it's a tough world out there if your team sucks to be, to be the RB14. It's not easy. Yeah, and I have him all the way up at RB10, um, so I'm staunchly in the Aaron Jones is going to be an RB1 again. And I was I was a big Aaron Jones fan last year. Part of it is I think he is one of the most talented running backs in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's a good chance Jordan Love does suck, just for all intents and purposes. I think well, well, and then like we talked about with Rodgers a little bit earlier with their offense, but like they've added some young guys, but they lost Lazar. Didn't we really add any vets? Like this offense really isn't any different, any better. I don't think around Love than it was Rodgers last year. So that's no. a concern for for love being good too. And you have an aging offensive line. Bakhtiari and yeah. company are getting much older. Um, I, I do trust LaFleur to call good plays. I think he's yep. a good play caller. Uh, what One thing that hopefully goes well for Dylan and or Aaron Jones is the the lack of calling a new play at the five-yard line to get another passing touchdown, <laughs> which Aaron Rodgers is definitely guilty of. Um, but I think Aaron Jones is going to continue to be a good fantasy player. I have him above other guys, which I think are in worse offensive play calling situations like Ramondre Stevenson. I think they're similar talents. I would say Jones is probably proven to be a little more proven of a commodity. Uh, Like one guy I can't wrap my head around going over him is Najee Harris. I think Aaron Jones is just vastly better than Najee Harris. I understand workload concerns, Mm -hmm. but like Kenny Pickett and Jordan Love at this point in their careers, I don't know if – if I took well, but okay, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I know what you're about ready to say, and I agree. Kenny Pickett wasn't exactly <laughs> great last year, but he's at least proven he can play a little bit in the NFL, yes. whereas Jordan Love has proven that for one quarter. I, it's just, yeah, it, 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 it's just really, really not unprecedented, but it almost is an unprecedented situation in, in 2023 to have a guy on the team that long, and, and we, we still haven't seen him out there, so yeah, it. It's just tough. I, I'm with. I'm, I'm a believer in the talent, so I'm I'm with you there. But I am I am afraid of what that situation could could drag him to. It's one of those ones where even when I take him, I'm probably going to close my eyes and not watch Packers games. Like you don't want to be a Monday Night Football game and looking at your lineup and it be Aaron Jones needs to get you ten points. Uh, you're probably going to have that feeling all season long. <laughs> all right, Dalton, let's move on to our, our two teams each that were higher and lower on real quick and then get out of here. Um, we'll start with the Rams uh, for me. We were talking about that a little bit pre-show. So their win total, six and a half. Uh, I'm on the over with that. And I, you know, it, it, we I think we both looked in the NFC for teams that we think could be surprisingly better records. I think that's what everybody is going to be doing because there are not many teams with high win totals in in the NFC and the AFC there are, but you know, they won five games last year with cup and Stafford playing nine games each with, uh, let me see. I have this stat here. Baker Mayfield looked good. I mean, let's just be honest. He had a game winning drive in this offense. The Rams had Skoranek. Well, and that that should tell you that having Cup and Stafford healthy could could mean very yes. good things 
uh, for this offense. The Rams had the second most adjusted games lost to injury in 2022 in the NFL per football outsider. So to me, that just makes them a, a pretty prime bounce back candidate. The offensive line was brutal. It's probably not going to be fixed and be great this year, but they did at least draft a kid um, early in the second round of TCU, who people seem to expect to come in and start in the was interior. That a villa? Yeah, to start in, in the interior right away. McVay, obviously a good coach, a proven coach, great play caller, all that. Like, we know what Stafford and Cup can do. We know what they can do together. If the line is decent, like, I think there's a shot we could be looking at a 9-10 win type of team in, in L.A. with the Rams this season. And if that does happen, I think there's going to be somebody outside of Cup and Cam Akers who we find at least interesting, who is at least on your fantasy radar, whether that's just Tyler Higby being very useful at tight end. Maybe we should be looking more at Zach Evans as, as a handcuff running back um, on this Nupa. team. Or, yep, that's exactly what I was going to say. Maybe uh, Puka Nakua, the, the rookie receiver, like Van Jefferson. I just can't quite get there with him, but he is, you know, maybe maybe going to be he, – he is there, and maybe he could be a top 50 type of guy. But I just think there are um, some options for, for fantasy value if they are able to exceed that, that win total, which I think if they're healthy. Like, I, if you can get a healthy year out of Cup, Donald, and Stafford, I don't see this team winning six games. Yeah, well, this team, I'm not going to write it up as an immediate, but the lowest win total team in the NFL by two games is the Arizona Cardinals, and the Rams play the Cardinals twice, mm-hmm. uh, which you're you're already almost halfway to your win total if you're looking at it that way. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of wild that Sean McVay, who's taken two different quarterback to the Super Bowl, uh, is being discounted this much. Yeah. Yes, the, the team is very bad. Um but you, you're going to eke out some wins where there's just a coaching disparity. We've realized coaching matters in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's a very big part of the outcomes you're getting with. I To play devil's advocate here with you a little bit, it is concerning they, that the news dropped. They're trying to trade Stafford in the offseason. I think they know their, their window's shut. Uh, they're not going to not try. Uh, that's concerning. The offensive line, like you talked about, is still going to be a problem. But – I'm just pulling up their schedule because I like this pick by you. We, we just need the O-line to be not the second worst. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and it looked worse last year because Stafford had an elbow issue. Like, in all honesty, it's harder for him to get his throws out and his timings right. Um, it's a tough start for their season. They go Seahawks, then they go Niners, then they go Bengals. But then October 1st, they play the Colts. I would probably pencil them in for the win. They play the Eagles again. They're going to lose. But then they play the Cardinals, which is another win. Then they play the Steelers. They get a win. I mean, we're getting to November. We could have three wins. And then, I mean, they play the Packers. who That could be a win. And then they play the Cardinals on November 26th. You could be at five wins before December. I'm just it's possible. It's and possible. they play Washington in December. Which, who knows how many quarterbacks Washington will have, will have cycled through by that time. Getting the AFC North is helpful for them because that might be one of the weaker AFC divisions, which yep. says a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. Who's who's your first team? It's funny because we both picked the NFC West here. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking the Seahawks at over of nine wins. They're like the fifth highest win total in the NFC, which is insane yeah. for a lot of reasons. Um, first, super fun Twitter fight going on right now. If anybody's seen uh, with Darrell Revis and 
people calling Tariq Willen better than Sauce Gardner and yeah. the New York media is overrating quarterbacks in New York. Uh, Tariq Willen was very good last season. I think they have a very good defense that will improve. But offensively, I think this team is going to take another step forward. They had to run a lot of 12 personnel last year because they had two wide receivers who were playable for the most mm-hmm. part in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I think the addition of Jackson Smith to Jigba makes this team like the second best three wide receivers in the NFL behind the Bengals. It's really hard for me to find another round um, where you have three really good wide receivers. Broncos could be up there depending on your opinions of Sutton and Judy um, because of Patrick being very good three. But you make those things together. uh, Then you go back two years ago, and this is a very small sample size, but Geno Smith had 121 dropbacks. In those dropbacks, he had the same completion percentage he had last year, which was 69% which is nice and cool. The only thing that was really different in his completion percentage, his on-target percentage, and his overthrow percentage was his touchdowns were lower, but it was a season with the Jets. uh, So I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass on that, especially with the coaching staff they had there. So all those things combined, and then the addition of Charbonnet, who I think gives them a better pass-blocking guy, I think that they're going to be on pace to win more games. And then they play the Rams and the Cardinals, which also helps them, in my opinion. And again, I think the AFC North is probably one of the easier matchups, getting the Steelers and the Browns, who might be okay but not great AFC teams in a very stacked division. So I think I like that. I think their offense gets even better too. Yeah, you know, I I like that as well. Um, I have mentioned that I do have just like the little, very faint voice in the back of my head that is telling me to be a little bit more afraid of Geno Smith and counting on him. Than, than I am with my current ranks. And so that that would be my concern. But if if we get the Geno that we expect and hope for this season, like they they threw through this trade with Russ, they they've brought in some nice young talent over the last couple of years, these last couple of drafts. They've got a, a pretty good looking roster and a pretty weak conference. And I think there's a world where both the Seahawks and the Rams can can go over on their win totals, and they could both even make the playoffs and have it be three teams from that division. You look at the South, like, are we confident there's going to be more than one team from the NFC South among the Falcons, Saints, Panthers, and Bucks make the playoffs? I would say not. Uh, the NFC East could have multiple teams, absolutely. And then um, you have the North, where it's like the Vikings are probably the number one regression candidate team in the NFL this season. The Packers, we've talked about already. The Lions are like sneaky. Uh, nobody wants to talk about it because we all love them, but and don't want to see them get hurt again. But I could actually see them flopping this this year relative to expectation. But even if they don't, they could win the division. Vikings miss the playoffs, and I don't think the Bears are gonna be that great. Like you can totally see a world where there's three teams in the AFC West making the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean. Not to harp on the, the division, but the NFC just sucks. Like, altogether, the Saints are predicted for nine and a half wins. And I think a large part of that is because they're playing in the NFC South. The teams are bad. The rest of the NFC is bad. And I I, I haven't looked, but just guessing based on their win total, are they matched up with the AFC South where you can get probably the juiciest and easiest wins? Like, probably. That's probably what's going on here. And, I mean, Geno Smith is a one-year proven guy right now. And he might be, like, top four in the NFC quarterback. It's pretty, it's pretty bleak what we have in the NFC. 
Uh, to answer your question, yes, the Saints are yeah. playing the the NFC yeah. or the yeah. AFC South this year. Yeah, that makes sense. Why they have nine and a half wins predicted, but, and somehow Derek Carr is going to throw for four picks and lose to the Titans, who are starting like Malik Willis. Or- well, that's a Week One matchup, so that's that's <laughs> exciting that you said that. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> now, now I have to hold myself to that. <laughs> All right, uh, now the other way. There, there's usually. A super Warren Sharp said this on Twitter and kind of stuck with me today. There's usually a Super Bowl contender in the preseason where it just turns in where it's just actually ends up being an absolute shit show all year. And the Broncos were that last year. The Browns have been that previous years. We we all know the expectations that the Browns have had and then what was become of that in in a season or two. And I think. Like I said, the Lions are a decent candidate for that. But what better place to look than the New York City market with perhaps the weirdest man outside of Kyrie Irving, who, by the way, didn't do so great in that same market uh, in sports, and that is Aaron Rodgers and his New York Jets. Is Robert Sala a good head coach? Is Nathaniel Hackett a good offensive coordinator? Is Aaron Rodgers still a good NFL quarterback. I have pretty legitimate questions about all three of those things, uh, more so the first two than the third, to be sure. But I think it's pretty scary to have that big of questions about the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and the quarterback. They're in a very difficult division, obviously, and they also play the AFC West, so they get the Chiefs and Chargers uh, twice as well. And I would imagine the Broncos... I think the Broncos and Jets hot take are going to be on the same level this season, which is not saying great things about what I think the Jets may be this season. They're total nine and a half. I'm taking the over. You know, their offensive line, very talented, but banged up last season, was very bad. Didn't have any continuity, obviously. Started a lot of different combinations. If they're healthy this season, they should have a pretty decent offensive line. But how quickly will they find that continuity with a group that hasn't played that many snaps together? How quickly will they mesh with Aaron Rodgers, who's not the easiest guy in the world to mesh with? How quickly will Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, when he's healthy, um, and some of those guys mesh with Aaron Rodgers? We know Lazard has that continuity, but how much does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? Not not a ton. Um, I talked about Rodgers and whether or not he's the same guy. Since becoming a full-time starter, last season was easily, easily his worst. You mentioned the thumb injury and – I definitely get that. Don't want to be too, too hard on him because of that. But also, you know, a plug for the, the the quarterback documentary on Netflix, if anybody out there hasn't started it. These guys are all playing through a lot. I could not believe I, – I was feeling very sorry for Kirk Cousins in, the, in these first couple of episodes of the show. You didn't uh, like pa- that? Pat, Patrick Mahomes' leg was a uh, a different color. Um, after week one because they had such a big bruise on his like these guys are playing through a lot all, all of them are so while it is a, a reason I, I still just you know his QBR last year was 39 that is easily the lowest he's had since becoming a full-time starter he's never been below 50 in any other full season 27th in QBR behind Matt Ryan behind Matt Ryan last year was Aaron Rodgers in QBR one spot ahead of Russell Wilson Matt Ryan beat the Super Bowl champions. Just <laughs> one spot ahead of Russell Wilson, and just a couple spots ahead of Zach Wilson, who was a thirty-six point five QBR 
He was a career low in yards per attempt and yards per game. And if you look at the, so there's a graph I like to look at that is uh, completion above expected and EPA. And Aaron Rodgers is sitting right beside Kenny Pickett and Andy Dalton on that graph. So all this to say, he didn't have a good season last year. The injury could have very much been part of it, but he was 39, going to be 40 this year. Tom Brady may have normalized it to us um, recently, but 99% of the time, guys don't come back from career worst seasons being awesome at age 40. So Rodgers could come back and, and be pretty good, but if he's not old Aaron Rodgers, like things get a little bit dicey in a tough division in New York City uh, with a somewhat young team around around Rodgers and a couple other vets that are there. Yeah, um, I don't hate this for a couple of reasons. One, we're like three years removed from everybody thinking Bill Belichick's like the greatest thing ever, and he's picked to finish last in this division. Yep. Um, the Jets are picked at the same win total as the Dolphins, who got to this win total despite – uh, losing their starting quarterback for multiple weeks to concussions. Yeah, and I and, and I I looked really hard at the Dolphins because I was looking at that division and those totals, and I was like, I just have more faith in the infrastructure in Miami than uh, than in New York. Well, the math doesn't math. Like you have the way that they have this coming out with the win totals, these teams would have to perform really well out of division for them to get to like 10, 9, 9, 8, if we're just rounding down and up for the four teams in this division. So someone's going to be the odd man out. Um, the Jets have the most turnover out of all of these teams. Mm -hmm. You have uh, a Patriots team that last year didn't have an offensive play caller, like which definitely impacted Mac Jones. Oh, they um, did. It was just Matt Patricia. So they would have been better off with nobody. Calling yeah, sorry. Them. They had a defensive coordinator <laughs> calling offensive plays. I love that. Um, so big issues there. Uh, again, I think your questions are valid about is, I mean, the only time Hackett's been good was with LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. Question is, did LaFleur make Rodgers? Did Rodgers make LaFleur? Who's going to make Hackett? I, I don't know. Situation? I don't know if Rodgers made LaFleur or LaFleur made Rodgers, but I know they both made Hackett. I can say yes. that with almost yes. certainty. We could say with confidence that Hackett's not good. I think yeah. we're okay. It is how often will Aaron Rodgers be audibling at the line to get out of whatever play call Hackett originally called? And then uh, it is just difficult to get there with their win total. I do think Sala has shown himself to be a good play caller. Like I mentioned earlier, when it's not Zach Wilson, 300 yards is the average for this offense when it comes to passing. Um, but I definitely like the pick because somebody in the AFC East is going to be the odd man out. Uh, and I mean, we saw in the AFC West last year. You yeah, just, it's, it's there, the same there, thing. There, there's going to be teams that if someone has to finish third and someone has to finish fourth. Yeah. And usually teams don't finish third and fourth and have very high win totals. Like it can happen, but for that to happen and happen in a very tough conference, it, it just seemed it's a little difficult to see. Yeah, I agree. I think you're you're spot on with that. And I think they're going to be a fun team. They're also it's weird that there's a team that's at nine and a half wins with a former MVP on hard knocks. Just weird. Like just like everything, just from a storybook perspective, it is all lining up to be an absolute disaster in New York. Like you can close your eyes and just see you can see a pissed off Aaron Rodgers saying something in week three media availability when they're 0-2 and they're about to play, I believe, the Chiefs on Monday Night Football that I'm coming. Like, like, you know, you can just close your eyes and you can see how things can go south with Rodgers in that situation, in that city, 
um, on the Jets, the J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Like, you, you can see how that can go wrong real quick. Yeah, it's a media nightmare of a landscape being the New York market. Storybook finish this as it's week 13. The Jets have three wins. Aaron Rodgers refuses <laughs> to play. Zach Wilson comes in and is suddenly good. I would love that. That'd be hilarious. It'd be exactly what the Jets are as a team. Well, and, you know, they, like we mentioned the Broncos last year, earlier, last thing I'll say on this, and you can go and we'll get out of here. Um, if you're looking for the 2022 Broncos, like you can just follow their head coach to the next slightly washed up quarterback and and you might just find them. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right, your team. Uh, this is one that didn't make sense to me for a variety of reasons. Uh, and it's not as fun as yours because I think that this is probably a pretty popular underpick, but I'm taking the Raiders at under seven and a half wins. Uh, first of all, like if you look at the division, the Chargers went out and got better. I think the addition of Kellen Moore made them better. I think the addition of Quentin Johnston makes them better. The Broncos went out and for better or for worse for their future, got a Hall of Fame coach in Sean Payton who will make them better. I think those two teams will get better. The Raiders went out and got Jimmy Garoppolo. It's like, okay. And then Josh Jacobs is complaining that he didn't get re-signed. Like I said, Monday's a big day. He's definitely talked about like he wants to hold out. He's made a lot of statements that he wants to reset the running back market. Whether or not those things are true, they're very important because this team has two good players on offense after getting rid of Derek Waller. Those players are Devontae Adams, who is entering his age 32 season, which is slightly concerning. And it is Josh Jacobs who might not play football. But Outside, I would say both of their two best players are flight risk. Like, are you, yes. like I, we talked about this last week, could easily see Adams demanding a trade because things are that bad in week seven. Yeah. And then we don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be their quarterback. Like, I, it's not talked about a lot right now, but the physical was failed and the contract was clear. Like, there is still a, an outside chance Jimmy Garoppolo is not the quarterback, and then it's Brad Hoyer. And there's no no prop as of last week. I haven't looked this week. No prop for a Vegas quarterback passing yes. yardage yet. So they Would, Ve, Vegas does not know what the team in Las Vegas is doing at quarterback. And if Vegas doesn't know, you should be concerned. And then I will continue to say this because it's irritating and annoying, but I think Josh Daniels is terrible. Mm. I think he's a bad play caller. I think he's a bad person based on the stories that are good. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Go listen to the play callers on The Athletic. and episode three, Sean McVay talks about asking Josh McDaniels questions, and Josh McDaniels sounds like the ultimate douchebag. I do not like the guy. Matt Waldman doesn't like him either. I'm just – Full, full disclosure, I don't like him. He's also, like, he accepted the Colts coaching job four years ago and then just didn't show up and say he didn't want it anymore. I, It's that Bill Belichick disciple. Well, he, absolutely, he absolutely massacred my boy Hunter Renfro last year, so I'm not a yeah. fan either. Well, and then, like, after that, you have two players playing the same position, Jacoby Myers and Hunter Renfro, and then you, you're playing in a loaded AFC West. Like, you're going to lose the Chiefs twice. It's just not... I don't see a situation where they come out on top. This team did nothing but got worse in the offseason while everybody else got better. It's an easy under for me to take. I'm staunchly out on everything that the Raiders do. I've never liked them as a team. Best day of my life was when Jamal Charles scored five touchdowns. <laughs> we can only hope the Raiders don't. Um, they are so bad trying to be good that they take their, their way into Caleb Williams when they're not even trying to do that. that. that That's the only thing that I hope for the Raiders this year is that they don't get Caleb Williams while trying to be good because that could very well happen. 
Yeah, and if that happens, then Drake May is suddenly my dynasty QB1. <laughs> All right, uh, Dalton, we've got one question here from uh, from a Scooby Taylor that, that we can get to before we get out. Uh, he says he needs help in a dynasty super flex league. He's stacked at quarterback and receiver. He has Kittle, but no one behind him. He's at the 2.05. Should he grab Sam Laporta or Zach Charbonnet? I'm assuming 2.05 in the rookie draft. Uh, don't know the scoring format. We'll just teach it or treat it as half point scoring. Uh, I'm going Charbonnet here as well. Assuming you don't have a uh, a tight end premium scoring in any way in this league. I don't know about you, Dalton, but my philosophy with uh, with rookie picks. I know you mentioned a concern with Kittle and nobody behind him, but my philosophy is really more just I, I draft the better player o- over what I think my team needs. Because at the end of the day, okay, full point per reception. I, I would still go Zach Charbonnet. I think in the in this situation. Um, at the end of the day, if you end up with the, the better player, Dynasty is all about trades. You, you can make trades to fill out team needs, and you make trades when you're ready, when you know what your team needs to win down the line. Right now, you're just looking to get the best asset possible. Uh, and then for me, it just comes down to who you think the better asset is. And for me, I, I think Charbonnet. We agreed that if he didn't go to Seattle, if he went somewhere better, he would have been a top six pick probably in this rookie draft. So I think this is a great chance to to get a great player at a situation discount and just kind of see what happens. Yeah, um, I agree with Evan. Uh, if you are stacked at wide receiver and quarterback, you're probably like looking to win now. Uh, and a rookie tight end is not going to do you any better. You can probably find waiver wire replacement for what Laporte is going to do this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charbonnet, if you're in full point PPR two, Charbonnet is a better pass catcher and pass blocker than Kenneth Walker. So you have some upside there. I still believe that there's a chance that Charbonnet outplays Kenneth Walker and gets a starting role. And like I said earlier, I'm really bullish on this Seattle offense. And then I like the rest of your running backs too with Pacheco and James Cook. You have a really good pass heavy core of wide receivers and Charbonnet just adds to that where, you know, some of those guys are a little injury prone. You, I would prefer to make sure you fill out your, your running back spots before you're pulling out your, your tight end spot, especially with a rookie like Laporta. I know he's getting camp praise, but it's rookie mini camp praise. Uh, I would always go premium positions, which I believe are wide receiver and running back over tight end. Yeah, and you can trade. Like, I know uh, us, Dalton, we're not the biggest Rashad White believers. If you are, definitely hold on to him. No problem there. He's probably going to have a – a pretty nice fantasy season. Mm-hmm. But if you just kind of have Rashad White because he was a good value in your draft and he's set up to have high volume and a decent fantasy year, like he's not a he's a guy that I would not hate selling for a good young tight end if you can pull that off uh yeah. in a league. So there's there's trades to be made where you can reshape your roster to make the depth chart feel better, I think, to to go Charbonnet here. Yeah, I agree. All right. Thank you for the question, Scooby. And that is going to do it for episode 108 of the Half Point Per Podcast. Give us a follow. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Half Point Per Pod. Subscribe to us on the YouTube channel here as well. You can ask questions during the show and we will answer Half Point Per Podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We appreciate any five-star reviews. And we will be back with a new show next week.